Welcome to the Sip It and Rip It podcast brought to you by the Golf Society, where our mission is to make golf more accessible and inclusive while growing the game on and off the course. So no matter your skill level, your age, or your beauty, join us as we dive deep into making golf great again. Without further ado, here are your hosts. Sip and Rip. Hey guys, and welcome to episode six of the Sip It and Rip It podcast. We've got Luke at home today and Pierre sitting in his basement. Uh, Jordan is busy back to work. COVID is clear and he's ish. Uh, ish and he's teaching his gym classes tonight. Sorry, personal training? No, some kind of training tonight. So uh, today, Group Luke, Pilates. probably some Pilates. <laughs> Luke, what are you drinking on tonight? The Dark and Stormy, one of the best on-course drinks to sip on ever. Absolutely agree. Uh, he parked his AGDs tonight for a dark and stormy. Jordy would be super proud of him. Uh, I went back to the Belgian moon. Keep going to the well when uh, when you need an old reliable. So uh, today's going to be a little different episode. We're going to nerd out a little bit. Jordan's not here to stop us. So we're going to chat uh, all things golf. Golf is back. We're going to talk about some clubs, um, lofts versus numbers on your irons uh we're going to talk about distance for amateurs and uh, we'll kind of just see where this conversation takes us from there so luke pga is back no fans watching all kinds of guys missing putts from short distances it's almost like they're rusty and human what'd you think of the weekend honestly i didn't even notice a big difference with fans not being there uh, especially with JT waving to nobody on purpose after he'd make an incredible shot. And I thought that was absolute tour sauce. I was, I was chuckling to myself. My wife had no idea why, but the putts were nuts, man. There was on the last two holes on the last two groups, there was a four position swing on three putts, all missed just inside three feet. And they were the dirtiest lip outs ever. It was super entertaining weekend good groupings, great leaderboard, and it was fun to watch. It was awesome to have real live sports back that meant something, not to say that the matches didn't mean anything, but to mean something towards Ryder Cup points and World Golf rankings. It was super entertaining, and I really enjoyed it, and the golf course looked phenomenal. Yeah, it's good that you mentioned courses looking phenomenal because we kind of had the discussion beforehand about a lot of courses all over the place are just in really good shape because – Courses didn't open until, well, fairly recently, at least in Alberta, but all over the place because of, of needing to be in quarantine. And courses look mint right now. Great greens, uh, fairways look in prime. Um, PGA, entertaining without fans still. Uh, commentary still leaves something to be desired. Maybe they need to get Bob Maneri out there on a regular basis or maybe a little less Jim Nance when there's nothing to talk about. But Interesting to see guys missing putts from inside short distances. And again, something we talked about right beforehand was the percentages that guys miss from short distance. And maybe it's something that amateurs should really take into account when they're being super generous with their buddies on the gimmies. If pros are having a struggle from three feet, what are your thoughts over there? It looks like you got some numbers in front of you. Well, I was just bringing that up. I'm going to bring that stat back up. But as we were saying earlier, we were, uh, I think where people don't, what people don't understand, and I got the metrics in front of me, and these are, these are PGA Tour putting stats. At two feet, a Tour Pro is at 99%, three feet, 96%, and at four feet, we start to see a drop off. 88% at four feet, at five feet, 77%, 87% at 
eight feet is 50. And then after that, it just craters. So when you're playing a buddy for money and they got a three footer on 16, do not let them pick that ball up. Do not be that generous, especially in a close match. Because if those guys are missing 15, 20% of putts at three feet, an amateur who's a 16 handicap is missing that, what, 30, 40% of the time? I mean, that's a big swing. So be careful what you give your buddies, especially shysters like Jordo. Jordo loves loves long gimmies. It's uh, something something that is left to desire. But, uh, yeah, it's one way to easily jack up your handicap in a real hurry is to make your friends putt out, make yourself putt out, force yourself to make those two-foot putts because as easy as they look, they're that easy to miss. So um, if the pros are missing, you can miss too, and those are the best players in the world. And probably the majority of people listening to this aren't the best players in the world. So, But great to see golf back. What are your thoughts about guys like Jordan Spieth kind of making a comeback, turning the numbers around, and then disappearing when it started to matter again? Well, I think this has kind of been his MO over the last – 16 months he'll put together two maybe three good rounds and then sort of fall apart and again he uh, he's very honest in when he's talking about when golf isn't fun I don't play well when he thinks too much about the game and I think that's something that most people can take away if you start to get frustrated with the game you start thinking too much you change things in your swing you change things mid-round and that's never a recipe for good golf and I'm that's a that's something that I do a lot of is I will change I'll change my grip. I'll change my swing. I'll think too much. I have too many swing thoughts. Going back to Jordan Spieth, I think it was good to see a guy, you know, still finish inside the top 15. Uh, at least I think he finished inside. I think he actually finished 11th place. But uh, anyway, being see, seeing him come in, play that well, I mean, it's kind of like a home course for him. Actually finished T10. Nice job. 70 and still, even 71. He's only one over par on the last day. But, uh, you know, I think those group of guys that came in, I think it showed having some time off was good for some guys, but I think what kept it entertaining is that because they were a little bit rusty and Jordan proved this, you're not always guaranteed to make those when you haven't been playing much in the last, what is it, 12 weeks now since the last real legit round of golf was played? Yeah, and we, we talked about that too beforehand is if you're a guy who only plays 10 rounds a year, don't expect yourself to improve. Quinn talked about that actually last week, which is really great timing. If you don't play a ton, it's tough to get better. But also, having the the expectations lowered and then learning from your mistakes opposed to getting frustrated every time you make a mistake, trying to figure out why you did what you did, is a, is a good approach. But it was nice to see PGA players be human on the corpse and, and missing easy shots or typical shots that they would normally make, especially those short pots late in the round. And maybe that pressure, you know, they hadn't felt that pressure in 12 weeks, which is three months, which is a long time. And, you know, if you don't feel that pressure on a regular basis, it's, it's easy to miss those short pots when it matters. Well, it's nice to see guys be human in their sport. Uh, I think we're going to see that with a lot of these sports coming back. Considering a lot of these sports, basketball, hockey, golf, or a lot of them are coming in at the end of the part of their season or the second half of their season the word we hear all the time it's completely unprecedented you're going to see these guys come into it still in the same season but that rust is going to be there you're going to see the mistakes that's why we like a lot of amateur stuff I like watching WHL hockey I like watching the corn Ferry tour because these guys are not always striping the ball 300 yards middle of the fairway there's a lot more recovery shots there's a lot more 
think they have to change up what they do all the time. It's not so, it doesn't seem so basic. It doesn't seem so robotic. And I think I, that adds a huge entertainment value. So it doesn't always have to be watching. I think that's kind of the issue with coverage all the time is we only focus on certain groups. We never see the extent of what's going on around you. Sometimes I want to see a guy hauls a rocket a ball over to the next fairway. I don't always need to see Jordan Spieth when he was on putting a ball within 10 feet and draining 90% of them. The only guy on tour to have a putting percentage of like 80% inside 10 feet. Yeah, exactly. Great to see humanized golfers. I think that'd be the best way to put it because they didn't seem superhuman. And I mean, at, at the same time, a lot of the names on the, the top 10 aren't all that familiar. Uh, there's a good mix of, of quote unquote stars. And uh, at the same time, I'm not going to call them nobodies because they're top 25 players, but just lesser known guys. And it's entertaining to watch that when it's just different guys in the field and different guys in the hunt. I know that some people want to see Tiger win every week. And as much as I want to see Tiger win every single major, it's fun to see other guys in the contention and, and pushing. I mean, I know Tiger wasn't there this week, but points. But it's also stands. not always good for the game of golf either. Like if the same guy wins all the time, it kind of gets expected. You can't really have any anticipation for what's going to happen if you know the guy's going to win every week. So I think I'm going to call it the Tiger fall off. It's not really a fall off. Obviously, the guy is still the most phenomenal golfer to ever play the game. But after 2012, when Tiger stopped being, you know, stopped winning every second tournament and he's top 10 every week and seeing this group of guys come up. And again, none of them are going to be Tiger Woods. I'm never going to say that. But you got the Rory McIlroy's of the world, the Jordan Spieths, the JTs, the Xander Shoffley, a guy who, again, proved this weekend that he is easily top five player in the world, bar none. These group of guys, Ricky Fowler, another guy, they can come in. They may not be Tiger Woods, but they keep the golf competitive any week, every week because they're so close in their skill level. You never know what's going to happen. And the, the you know Sunday can be entertaining. When Tiger Woods was at this prime and he was by leaps and bounds better than everybody else, if he was three, four strokes up on Sunday, unless you're the kind of guy that likes watching a 97 nothing blowout in football, which I hate doing because it's boring as hell, I mean, Sundays weren't really that, like, they were fun to watch, obviously, with Tiger winning. But I like adding that entertainment value of, like, this weekend, Xander Shoffley on 16 was solo first. He finished in fourth place. When does, like, what other sport does that happen in? Or what other round of golf do you see that happen? I mean, early 2000s, that's never happening with Tiger. He's not dropping off at 16. Yeah, exactly. One guy who we should probably talk about, which will segue perfect into amateurs hitting the ball further, is... uh Bryson DeChambeau driving the ball like an absolute animal, pumping balls up to 367 yards. His His driving stats were outrageous. It seems like bulking up and getting to 235 or 240 pounds and looking like a linebacker might be beneficial for golfers when a guy like Bryson, who is the, the mad scientist, goes and puts on all that weight absolutely hammers the ball and is in contention his his first week back after covid if it wasn't for a miss putt on 17 i think he's he's in the yeah he's in the in the playoff yeah he finished i think he finished t2 he finished t2 and he's one or t3 but he's one stroke back but he's one stroke back so if he rolls that one home instead on 17 he lips out he's in the playoff guy's an absolute animal and he's showing that the easiest way to gain strokes on the golf course outside of becoming a better putter is hitting the ball further. 
That's a perfect segue, like you said, and I think there's more to it than that. We, you mentioned this in the opening. There's a couple of things that Bryson does very differently than everyone else because he's so analytical, and the numbers mean so much. We've seen this in all sports. Moneyball and baseball was a perfect example of the analytics. All these new GMs being hired in the NHL, they're young guys that like analytics. Numbers mean a ton because you can, you can round your entire game, your entire team, whatever, around numbers. And, yes, they're not perfect. you still got to use the eye test. But what Bryson did, which is so interesting, and I've never seen this on tour, is he's a guy that fits every – he also play, he plays one-length clubs in his irons. He's the only guy – as far as I know, he's the only guy on tour that does that. And for guys that don't understand, a typical set of golf clubs uh, from three iron down to pitching wedge, as your club drops, so three to four to five to six and so on, your length of your club also decreases. So your swing speed at the same time will decrease. But Bryson, being the mad scientist and wanting everything to be simplified, is he has one iron swing for all of his irons because they're all the same length. The other thing he did is he plays a five and a half degree driver, which on tour is crazy. Like eight degree is almost nothing, but five and a half degree driver and the guy is like 245. I mean, he got fitted for his driver, really fitted for his driver. And I think what that proves to a lot of people is just buying stuff off the shelf especially when you're an amateur, not always the best move. And you'll get told to a lot of time, but getting fitted, especially if you want to get better at golf and make your life easier, spend some time, find a decent fitter in your area and get fitted for clubs. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Fitting for your clubs is so important because we're not all even close to the same. Um, I'm 6'5". I ended up with clubs that are an inch and a quarter longer than than standard. They change the lie angle. They change your grips. They give you the right shafts, uh, the weight, the the flex, everything in there is to to fit you to make you better. And there's a real a real change with that. And for Bryson, it's one swing, one length club, but he makes his life so much easier. Everything he hits, even if you put the ball in the rough and you hit it 360 yards, that means you have a wedge into a hole instead of a seven or six iron when you don't hit it that far. So he uh, he's showing that you know, doing what Tiger did 22 years ago when he was driving the ball past everybody, it might be the the answer to trying to beat guys is to gain strokes by hitting the ball further, allowing yourself to get closer to the hole. And I think he was number one in strokes gained. So I'm not going to go that deep into to golf nerding. But, you know, if, if amateurs can pull anything away from that, it's hitting the ball, unless there are hazards, hitting the ball as far as humanly possible on a hole is the best thing you can do. Even if you hit the rough, it allows you to play the shortest club in, which gives you more control on your second, third shots. It's all within reason though, right? It's, we talk about the, keeping the ball in play. Yeah. And the rough is still in play. Yeah. As long as you have a usable shot off of your drive, distance is key. Dispersion is important, but as we've seen, the straightest drivers in the PGA Kevin Kisner is a perfect example. The guy hits the ball 280. He's in the top 25, but I've never seen Kevin Kisner play in the top 10. Exceptional golfer. Yeah. But then you got a guy like Dustin Johnson, sprays the shit out of the ball, but he hits it, what, 320? There's a reason why he's in the top 10. People always talk about Bomber's Paradise. Hey, man, if you can hit one club real far, you can hit every club real far. So Bomber's Paradise doesn't mean anything anymore, really. Well, I think it's 
super speed who always uses the example it's the top 20 players in the world are also some of the longest hitters in the world it's not it's the guys who hit it the furthest who are making the most money out there there is a study somewhere and someday i will get my hands on it and find it again but for every yard further an amateur hits it it's two yards of accuracy that they gain on their next shot for pros it's like one for one but for amateurs for every yard further it's two yards in accuracy so that means you can get closer to pins you can give yourself a better chance to roll in putts birdies are bonuses for amateurs we should all be playing for pars hoping for birdies and trying to avoid bogeys at all costs but for pros they're playing for birdies eagles are bonuses they're trying to avoid pars because they want birdies and it's scoring opportunities but we we as amateurs always look at what's par which is set up in a way that it's to challenge a pro not to challenge an amateur and we need to set those expectations again it's put them in a realistic spot but try and get the ball f- as far as possible down the fairway and then make your second shot and get it nice and close from there you mean playing out of the sand trap is not ideal it's fucking terrible and i suck out of the sand it's- i mean it depends on what your sand game is like i don't care how good you are man nobody's sand game is better than their putting oh absolutely not no but some people are probably better out of the sand than they're chipping from the rough my short game is not ideal. No, Actually, most of my game isn't ideal. I don't know what I'm talking about. I just like to talk about golf. I'm no good at it. I just like hitting the ball far. I don't even care about, oh, that's a lie. I like hitting irons, but I don't, <laughs> I don't like field shots. I have no desire to hit a chip. I have no that? desire to putt, but it's also part of the game, so you have no real choice. So the last segue was super smooth because we went from DeChambeau and amateurs hitting the ball far, and this one less so, but this is something interesting you brought up today in the old group chat amateur golfers should know what the lofts are of their clubs and or more importantly they should know how far they hit each one of their clubs and stop comparing themselves to their friends because when you know luke jordan and i are standing on a tee box and luke says well what are you hitting and if i say seven iron and luke wants to hit his seven iron it's an unfair comparison one because my clubs are an inch and a quarter longer i'm gonna hit them longer Two, all my lofts are slightly stronger. So that means the ball is going to go a little bit flatter and probably a little bit further. And then if Luke and I were both hit a seven iron, mine's going to go further just because of the club I'm holding is different from the club he's holding. Amateur golfers need to learn one lofts. Two, they need to understand how far they hit each one of their clubs and they need to understand how to communicate that with each other. So to put that, put that into an, exam, an actual example, so this was a post by my golf spy. And if people don't know who my golf spy is, they are probably the best independent tester of golf equipment. And they go in depth in everything from drivers to putters to every piece of golf equipment. And they get into the real nitty gritty numbers. And I know we're going to nerd out and people may not pay attention to this, but if you want some real info, if you're playing with a guy, a tailor-made M2, this is a club that's a few years old. They have a six iron at 25 degrees of loft versus a ping blueprint blade, six iron, which is 30.5 degrees of loft. That is five and a half degrees of difference on the loft angle, which if you don't understand that by the number, for every degree of loft, I believe it's four yards difference in distance. So that club by itself could be upwards of 20 yards in difference between the two six irons. So like Pierre was saying, if you're going up to a hole and you don't, and you're not confident in your distance. Don't be asking the guy you're playing. With. I, if I go up to Jordo 
We have two totally different swings. That guy nukes a seven iron, 185. I couldn't hit that thing 185 if my life depended on it. So I'm never going up to a hole and asking Jordo what club he's hitting. What I'll ask him and what you can ask your friends is what distance do you hit that club? That's the question you should be asking. Don't pay attention to numbers. Don't use it as a, you know, my manhood's crushed because I'm not hitting, I'm hitting a five iron. He's hitting a seven. Our loft angles are different. I play a totally different set of clubs than he does. Pay more attention to your distance. Understand the distance that you hit the ball first. A, th- a thing all amateurs can do, and I think it's a great thing to do, and mind you, you have to find somewhere where you can do this, either a proper uh, simulator or a driving range which has not flighted balls. Understand your distances. Have a notebook, put it in your bag, keep it in your back pocket, and know how far you hit each club on the max you're going to hit that club and what you average hit that club. Those are numbers you can always keep around. It gives you at least a rough idea of where you're going to hit that because most golfers end up short because they think they can hit the ball as far as, far as the next guy and you're 10 yards short of that because you either fatted the ball, thinned the ball, didn't hit it pure. It's always better to be a little bit longer than a little bit shorter. I mean, short of any kind of hazard long, I, I completely agree. It, it, I feel like a lot of errors or misses are short and that's because you don't hit the ball pure and that's the other problem is a lot of people think, well, if I hit a pure, I'm going to hit a 175. But the reality is we, unless you're at five or less handicapped, the odds of you hitting your irons pure on a regular basis, so slim. Like you, you probably don't even hit center of the face more than 10% of the time. So why would you assume you're going to nut everything? You should play for the slight miss. You're going to be short. Maybe if you hit it, real bad but more likely than not you'll be closer and then if you nut it you fly the green and whatever it's, it's less likely that you're going to nut it than you're going to be pure it's, it's the old saying that the safest spot to stand on the green is right beside the pin if somebody's hitting into it because they're not going to hit close to the pin i'd r- much rather be having a putt back to the pin than a chip 10 yards off the green that is the, one of the especially out of a tight light that has got to be one of the hardest shots in golf it is so frustrating when you blade one of those things across the green or fat chunk at two yards. Your whole, your brain explodes because you're so frustrated and you throw your clubs and – or was that just me? No, that's when uh, you get into that double, triple, quad territory and that's before you two or three putt. So, yeah, nothing better than blading a wedge from 10 yards over the green by another 20. So, Especially when you just peered your drive 10 yards short of the green. Nothing better than almost than almost hitting a uh, green on a par four and then end up with a six. I feel like you've golfed with me before. Jeez. It's ain't, ugly yeah. for me. <laughs> ain't pretty. You know, golfers, like Luke said, like we just need to, to check the ego. We need to realize that everybody hits clubs differently. We all hit the ball at different distance. Between your club lofts, what club setup you have, um, everybody having a different swing – there's no point in comparing yourselves because I golfed on Saturday with a friend and he had a six iron where I hit a wedge and he didn't care. And we were both on the green. You know, if you just put it into that kind of perspective of, you know, at the end of the day, we're just trying to get on the green. It doesn't really matter how you get there. Don't worry about what your friends are hitting. Check your ego. It's going to be fine. Be more fun that way. Honestly, something I invested in and one of the greatest things I ever bought, I ever bought get a range finder. Those plates on the tee boxes are accurate within 20 yards. They don't mean jack. If you really want to make your life easy, get a proper either a watch or a GPS or a rangefinder. They are awesome. And you can get good ones. I got a Precision Pro. It cost me 200 bucks on Amazon. 
and it's super accurate. It's tiny. It's awesome. Yeah, and as long as you just use the same rangefinder everywhere you go, it doesn't matter if it's accurate to the exact yardage. As long as it's consistent, it, it still gives you the right yardage for you to hit your club. So that's that's all you need. You just need a laser in your bag, tells you how far to hit the ball, and then just hit the club that goes that distance and be aware of your surrounding. It's, if it's windy at your back or in your face, like obviously make adjustments, but just check your ego at the door when you get to the golf course and don't worry about what your what your playing partners are doing and just play your own game. Obviously there are times when it's a long drive contest and you can you can swing it like a big boy, go ahead and do it. But otherwise, just check the ego and just have some fun. Don't worry about what club everyone else has hit. All right, Luke. Well, any other thoughts on hitting the ball deep, PJ being back? I think I'm just looking forward to next week, another tournament. Let's see him sip and rip. Sip and rip, bud. Sip and rip, Pierre. Cheers, buddy. Thank you.